This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Putting It Together, the podcast that goes through the entire body of work of Stephen Sondheim, show by show and song by song. My name is Kyle Marshall, your self-described Sondheim expert. Well, I've done it to myself again here. I have made a show that is much longer than I planned it to be. But in reality, we are talking about two songs today, both named The Glamorous Life. So I'll make this brief this week. If you'd like to support the show, you can always do that for free by rating and reviewing it on whatever podcast app you use. Algorithms are a tricky thing, but it helps the show become more discoverable. If you'd like to help monetarily, which will help grow the show and make the show better, you can do that over at our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash puttingittogetherpodcast. Do not donate if it impacts you negatively financially. That's why I need to thank the God That's Good tier from over there, the Holy Triumvirate, Jack, Todd, and Barry. Thank you so much for making this show continue to go. And now it's time for Plotting Along. Plotting Along is the part of the show where I fill you in on what's happening in the plot of the show. After the introduction of a few of our principal characters last week, we're back to seeing Frederica and her grandmother, Madame Ardenfeld, and Frederica sits at her piano plunking away and she begins to sing the glamorous life about her mother, Desiree. Let me go thank some sponsors, and then when we return, it'll be me talking about the glamorous life with Brian Holcomb and Joel Perkin. Putting It Together is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week, Putting It Together is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Gazoski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. This week we are also brought to you by ATB, and today I want to tell you about ATB's new podcast, The Future Of. You can join Todd Hirsch, ATB's Vice President and Chief Economist, as he connects with special guests who offer unique and useful perspectives about the future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunity it creates. From the future of women in business to the changing nature of work itself, the future of helps us understand what's coming and what we need to do today to get the tomorrow we want. Featuring two episodes each month plus bonus episodes, the future of includes interviews with top community and business leaders from Alberta and around the world. Subscribe to the future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. And connect to ask your questions about the future by emailing thefutureof at atb.com. Sweep the parlor, cook the meals, and look exhausted. Ordinary mother 
Brian Holcomb and Joel Plurkin. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Hello. Thanks for having us. I am so excited to have some new people here on the podcast. So I think we should start where we normally do when there's a new guest here. Maybe each of you can start off by just describing who you are. What is it that you do? Why don't you start, uh, Brian? I am an English professor at Limestone University in Gaffney, South Carolina. And I'm an instructional coach for one of the local high schools. So I work with teachers to help them get better at their teaching. Oh, excellent. Now, none of that necessarily leads into a loving of Stephen Sondheim. So I'd love to know where each of you ran across him for the very first time. Well, I'll start. This is Brian. I grew up in a house with lots of musicals around. My mother loves musicals. And so I grew up listening to them all the time. I knew Gypsy and West Side Story well before I knew who Stephen Sondheim was. And mm -hmm. when I was in college, my freshman year, I was in design school. That didn't last very long. But I had to do a project based on a painting. And I chose Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte. And I told my mother about it. And she said, well, you know, there's a Broadway musical based on that. And I said, you must be kidding. Who would do that? And But I went and bought it. And it was a, an album that had a lovely fold-out sleeve. So with all of these pictures in it. And I put it on my record player and listened to it and thought it was beautiful and bonkers. And I've loved it ever since. And that was my hook into Sondheim. Sometimes you can get up on your high horse a little bit and like thumb your nose at some of those adaptations. Uh, I often hear about that for like movies where it's like, we're going to make a movie out of Candyland or like a board game or something. <laughs> like there's no way you're going to make anything good. And then like Clue is like the example of how to adapt something into an interesting way. And then you have the uh, musical theater. It's like, we're going to make an adaptation on a painting. <laughs> and it's like, no way. Like, there's there's no story there. How can you make this into anything that's going to be any good? And then you are uh, proven wrong time and time again. <laughs> uh, Joel, how about you? When was your first introduction to Stephen Sondheim? Well, much like Brian, my parents, um, they're both musicians. They both had extensive record collections. We're both of a certain age. So I grew up. 25 by the way thank you yes. you're too kind uh grew up you know knowing west side story inside out um and that was i didn't really know who sondheim was but i knew that show very well when i was in college i decided to start doing some theater just for fun because a professor offered extra credit if you auditioned for his show and so i started getting into some musical theater and then ended up in a production a community theater production later of forum and so that was really my first real deep dive into a Sondheim show, knowing who Sondheim was. What uh, what role were you? Hysterium. Oh, yes, fun. it was a lot of that's fun. A great, that's a great yes. role. Drag is just one of those things that everyone has to do at least once. And then my first cast album I got was actually Pacific Overtures. And so that was kind hmm. of my my gateway drug into the the deeper Sondheim. It's a very intriguing show to be kind of your first like really <laughs> foray is. into like the broader <laughs> Sondheim world. But was there any, in, uh, I, I know, compulsion for either of you to go into performing as a profession at all? I always thought that that would be great to do until I started performing and realized that I was absolutely terrible at it. Um, <laughs> so the last time I performed was actually in a production of Little Night Music in college. And oh, wow. I was one of the Liebisch leader singers. And nice. um, actually that production, I'll just I'll just throw in a little uh, shout out here. The Petra in our production was Kristen Anderson, who wrote Frozen. 
Right, I was gonna say I know that name from somewhere. Yeah, she's Kristen Anderson Lopez now, but she was she was Petra right. when she was eighteen, and she gave what I still think is the best performance I've ever seen of the Miller son. That's really cool. And I do a lot more performing than Brian does. Um, I've actually been in a production of Little Night Music. I was one of the silent butlers in in tuxedo mm-hmm. who just moved furniture on and off. But that's okay. It was <laughs> it was a great experience. You still get to be around that music, exactly. which um, I, I know I've said this on this season here already, but just as a purely like listening to a score, this is probably my favorite that Stephen Sondheim wrote. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it may not be my favorite show of his, but like, yeah, just having it on, there's just something to it that's very, I don't know, lush and <laughs> magical yeah. to listen to. Yes. Where do you personally rank the show in Sondheim's output? Oh, that's a good, I haven't really thought about it in terms of ranking. I'd say easily in the top half. And I'd say this is the first of his shows in chronological order. This is the first of his shows that I just am deeply in love with. I, I gotcha. have great admiration for Follies and Company, but I love a little night music. Whereas I would actually put Company just slightly above this, simply because it's, I think, a more interesting take on a story. This is a beautiful music and the the storytelling is really great, but I like the approach that that Sondheim took to company with making it a little more conceptual, non-linear, all of that. We're talking about the glamorous life here today. The song that Frederica gets to sing in this show, uh, she doesn't really have another like solo piece necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was mentioning to you before we actually started recording, I thought this was going to be somewhat of an easy one to talk about. And then there is like three, four different versions of this song, kind of. (laughs) Uh, Definitely, there's a big difference between how this is presented in the stage show versus what it looks like in the film version of A Little Night Music. Uh, So we're going to like not really talk about the film version until the end of this episode. And then we can delve into it a little bit more. One thing I've been doing this season, just jumping into it a little bit more, are because Sondheim is so interested in writing songs for characters, like you really need to understand the character behind it. How do you, either of you, personally read Frederica as a character? It was really interesting. We were, we were actually talking about that the other night as we were kind of going through our notes and preparing for this. She's much of a, a blank slate. You can mm-hmm. project a lot of things onto her. And by the time you get to the end of the show, spoiler alert, she's the one character you don't know what's going on with. She doesn't seem to have a future here. So she, to me, kind of represents moving past where things are and moving into the future. And who knows what she's going to be. When the the first time I saw this show, I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention properly. But even at the end, when they announce what her name is, like that was a gasp moment for me. It's like, oh, <laughs> she's... <laughs> She's Frederick's daughter, of course. That makes so much more sense about why everything is structured the way it is. But she does kind of remain a mystery here. Mm-hmm. Like she is, mm-hmm. yes, the daughter of Desiree, but then isn't really that important for the rest of the show until kind of at the very, very end. Right. So it's interesting that they use Frederica as a way to as a way to comment on Desiree. Yes. yes. Before we really even know who Desiree is. In a lot of ways, she serves um, an exposition function in the play because essentially somebody has to say out loud what Desiree is up to because otherwise we, mm-hmm. we don't know. And so Frederica becomes the tool that the audience gets to hear words spoken about what is Desiree up to, which of course creates this really interesting situation where you have a 14-year-old girl who completely understands all of the sexual 
peccadillos of her <laughs> mother and grandmother and is completely okay with all of this. And I think definitely this is a nice little showpiece too. Again, I'll just go back to how the stage show normally does this, where it's Frederica singing, but then you get to see Desiree and all like mm-hmm. the different stops and stuff that she's doing. I think it really hammers home that, yes, this song is called The Glamorous Life, but Desiree doesn't necessarily have that glamorous of a right. life. <laughs> That's like, I think, the subtext to this whole entire song. So let's jump into it here then. Uh, I've broken this up into a few different sections here, but I just want to go through the very first stanza, essentially, just by itself. So Frederica starts off by saying, Ordinary mothers lead ordinary lives, keep the house and sweep the parlor, cook the meals and look exhausted. Ordinary mothers, like ordinary wives, fry the eggs and dry the sheets and try to deal with facts. Mine, axe. Ordinary mothers lead ordinary lives. Keep the house and sweep the parlor. Cook the meals and look exhausted. Ordinary mothers like ordinary wives. Fry the eggs and dry the sheets and try to deal with facts. Mine, acts. So anything that you want to just call out there in just that first stanza? Well, one of the things that I think is interesting is that Frederica is having this fantasy projection of what an ordinary mother is. And so there's this kind of longing for, you know, I I want my mother to be ordinary. I wish she were just an ordinary mother. Except, of course, the Desiree Mm -hmm. is never going to do any of these things. She is not going to dry the sheets or fry the eggs or do any of these things, even if she does stay home with Frederica. Yeah, I I find that it's interesting how Frederica really interprets what a normal mother Mm -hmm. is uh, specifically, uh, because it's it's very... What's the right word? Utilitarian. But, you know, someone who is very like, I'm cleaning, I'm mm-hmm. cooking. Like, that's a very standard, like, housewife role in that. When, like, I don't, I'm, I'm curious of, like, where that's coming from in a way. Because, like, her grandmother, I don't think does any of that <laughs> stuff. <Certainly right>? not. <laughs> she has her, ser- yeah, she has her servants that gets to, like, carry her around and wheel her around and stuff like that. So she's, like, envisioning, like, this perfect mother who is kind of conforming to that very stereotypical male-female divide in a marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stood out for me was where the rhymes come in this. He didn't rhyme the end of the lines, except for lives and wives. But, you know, keep and sweep at the beginning of the phrases, and cook and look, and fry and dry, Mm -hmm. and then try. So we got a triple internal rhyme there. Yeah, Yeah, I actually find this is something that he does a lot here in this show in particular is not, I guess, in every single song, but there's very interesting rhyme schemes that he starts to, to do where it's like the beginning of words or it's like half rhymes in the in the middle of a stanza that, that he starts to play mm-hmm. around with. So it's interesting that he was really trying to play with form. I think if I was to psychoanalyze, I think because he wasn't able to be as avant-garde as he wanted to with the structure of the show, he's like, I'm just going to be experimentary or experiment with my lyric writing in in this show. Now, before we get too far, I've blown past something, which is I like to give credit to the actors and actresses that have actually performed in these shows. So just to give that credit, Frederica uh, is performed in the original Broadway cast by Judith Kahn, or Kahn. I'm actually not sure how to pronounce her last name. Claire Cox in the 1995 London version. And then Catherine Lee Doherty in the uh, 2009 Broadway revival. In the movie, she's portrayed by Chloe Franks, but I'm pretty sure her singing voice is not Chloe Franks. 
Because according to at least my album on iTunes, it says that Elaine Tompkinson actually sung the, the part. So I'm assuming it's a uh, Audrey Hepburn in uh, My Fair Lady situation right. going on here. Um, and then Desiree, of course, is portrayed by Glynis Johns in the original Broadway cast, Judy Dench in that 1995 version, and Catherine Zeta-Jones in the 2009 revival. So then we continue on with the song. So we get to see a little bit of Desiree here next. And she says... Darling, I miss you a lot, but darling, this has to be short. As Mother is getting a plaque from the Helsingberg Arts Council Amateur Theater Group, whether it's funny or not, I'll give you a fuller report. The minute they carry me back from the Helsingberg Arts Council Amateur Theater Group, love you. <laughs> darling, I miss you a lot, but darling, this has to be short. As Mother is getting a plaque from the Helsingborg Arts Council Amateur Theater Group, whether it's funny or not, I'll send you a fuller report the minute they carry me back from the Helsingborg Arts Council Amateur Theater Group. Love you. Uh, I should also point out that if someone has not seen the show before, it's very obvious that she's. this is kind of her like conducting a letter back mm -hmm. to her daughter. But this is our first introduction to Desiree, the character Desiree. So what do we have to say about this? The kind of chaos and energy that the writing brings to this mm -hmm. bit. It's all these very short, lots of commas, breaking everything up. Um, I almost get the feeling that she is dashing off bits of this letter in between scenes as she's performing right. something. Yeah. It's all very, um, look how great I am. This really is a glamorous life. She's presenting to Frederica just all the glamour of where she is. You know, I'm so busy. I don't have time to write a very long letter. I'm getting this amazing plaque. They're going to carry me around the city of Helsingborg. By, by the way, uh, I don't, how much do you know about Swedish um, geography? More than the average person, probably. <laughs> we actually looked these up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, did you notice where Helsingborg is actually right located? Right across the strait from Elsinore. From Elsinore. So I don't know if this is like an in-joke about, uh, <laughs> about Hamlet or what it's supposed to be, but... I I interpret it as such that she is, uh, uh, yeah, she's in the play world and theatrics and stuff like that. So I think Sondheim probably knew what he was doing. Yes. I think think it's interesting the the line whether it's funny or not because and she does this again later when she's writing to her mother. She already knows potentially what it is that Frederica is thinking when she reads that line. So she's already like preemptively mm -hmm. saying it might be funny, but don't laugh here. Um, so she's she's right. living this glamorous life. But she's also aware that she's probably not really fooling Frederica about it. Well, yeah, especially as Frederica is getting older and older. I think she's probably understanding that she's going to she's not the child she once was. So she's probably picking up on a lot more things about what her life actually is mm -hmm. sort of thing. And if I'm not mistaken, sure. I believe that uh, she's that Frederica has toured with Desiree like for a lot of her life, that she's only kind of recently living with her grandmother. Right. Yeah. In the book portion, you get the it's explicitly stated actually that she toured around mm. with her for a while um and the last few years at least she's been staying with her mother instead so yeah she probably understands a little bit of the touring life uh in amongst the different uh stops and stuff that she's mm -hmm. been going on do you get a sense i mean even in the show like it seems to be that desiree is revered as a great actress but is are we led to believe that she is kind of slumming it now? Like, I don't know what your sense is at like what stage of her career she's actually in. Definitely. I, we've, I, I definitely think she's reached her peak and is slightly beyond her peak. She, she brings in a certain set of fans who are 
a little bit on the older side to remember her from her, her greatest days. So she was the one Mm -hmm. and only Desiree Armfelt and well, she still kind of technically is, but there are others who probably bring in better audiences. Yeah. That's the sense I get. And I mean, I understand that of course the song um, and the show was built around the original Broadway cast, but I still say that I, I just love Glynis Johns mm-hmm. in this role a whole lot for whatever reason. Just as she brings so much to this, um, and uh, I'll always know her. I probably best as the mother in um, uh, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Gosh, I just blanked on Mary <laughs> Poppins. So many people have written more eloquently about this than what I'm going to be able to say. But even though she does have that limited vocal mm-hmm. range, for whatever reason, it's like that just adds to her character mm-hmm. a lot for me. Yeah. That it's like, yeah, that actually means that maybe in her youth, she was like this huge, like belter even. Uh, but now it's like, this is the range I have. I can't do much more than this. Uh, but it adds to the character building for me. It does. And the one, the one thing that is not the short choppy bit in here is when she talks and she names the Halsenberg arts council, amateur theater group. And I keep going back and forth mm-hmm. as to whether She's spelling out the whole thing like that to be impressive, or she's spelling out the whole thing like that kind of ironically. Like, can you believe the city of Helsingborg mm. has this thing that has this huge title on it? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a good call out, too. I mean, I, I think definitely she's in this situation where she wants to uh, make it sound bigger than what it actually is. At least that's my interpretation of it uh at the same time it's like if that if that's the real name of of this theater group it's like we could have probably shortened that it's up a, a bit. bit on the pretentious side now we get into this i think the kind of the weird section of the song because you have what's called the quintet that comes out here to kind of sing uh the in-between parts and so they come out and say Unpack the luggage, la, la, la. Pack up the luggage, la, la, la. Unpack the luggage, la, la, la. Hi-ho the glamorous life. Ice in the basin, la, la, la. Cracks in the plaster, la, la, la. Mice in the hallway, la, la, la. Hi-ho the glamorous life. Run for the carriage, la, la, la. Wolf down the sandwich, la, la, la. Which town is this one, la, la, la. Hi-ho the glamorous life. Unpack the luggage, la, la, la. My first question is going to be this. Why do you think we need to include this uh, quintet, these, I don't know, a Greek chorus of people that comes out and kind of mentions what's going on? Well, from a practical acting directing standpoint, so that um, Desiree can make a costume change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. True enough. Yeah. It's also strange because the quintet, like in the in the overture and in the song Remember, they're really serving as commentary on the action. And here in this song, they're really acting just like a traditional Broadway chorus. They're not really yeah. doing anything as the quintet. They're just carrying chairs on and off and saying la la la. Right. Yeah. That's that's why I think it is such a weird section, I guess, here in this place, because it's it's just very to the point, like, this is what is happening. I, I think there may be, there's a little bit of a deeper thing here in that 
there's that monotony that mm-hmm. they sing. It's like unpack the luggage, pack up the luggage, let's pack the luggage again. Like it, that, that I think hits mm-hmm. home and is a, and a benefit uh, for the audience to understand more about Desiree a little bit. At the same time, uh, just as like a listening uh, person to the song, it's like, oh, this is kind of weird that this is <laughs> a part of this uh, of this song in general. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Am I being too harsh? No, I don't think so. But um, I do think they the the text is serving a purpose here because Desiree has just been singing about how how wonderful things are and getting the plaque and now they're coming on and saying you know there's you're performing in theaters where they can't even repair the walls and there's rodents running around <laughs> and we're barely making mm-hmm. carriages and we don't know what town we're in so maybe it's not so glamorous i think the the lead leader singers introduce this contrast to what Desiree has just been singing. Sorry, which uh, one of you said that you were the lip sync singers, right? Brian. So what uh, what can you tell me? What was your motivation during these these? It parts? was very confusing. I will tell you that we probably violated the royalties um, contract for the show <laughs> because, well, we were a bunch of college students doing a production, and I'm yeah. not sure that we all quite grasped what we were doing. Mo- most of us were people that right. were singers with a few actors, but we didn't really have anybody that was like a real director or a dramaturg who could sort of tell us what was going on in the show. And so the choreographer was very upset because she couldn't figure out how to make five people waltz. And so we cast a sixth person and we redivided the parts. So we actually had six singers. Ah. And then of course, like 15 years later, I literally was driving down the road and all of a sudden just out of nowhere thought, they're not supposed to all have partners. There's always supposed to be somebody left out and we didn't get it. Right. So yeah. it was it was a very strange production. I mean, I loved it. It was wonderful to be in. But I think Remember was the most fun song because, of course, there's just all these dirty lyrics going on in it. But in this song, it was an awful lot of we're covering up while some piece of set is being moved or while something else is happening. Well, I'm glad that you finally came to that realization. Nothing is worse than being like, three four months or years later i'm like oh that's what was going on (laughs) it's like this is way too late for me to do anything about it after i fixed what sondheim messed up now i (laughs) really i just realized here too that madame armfelt is actually in this song too so we should probably give credit to the people that have performed her in our three productions so we have hermione gingold of course was in the original broadway cast uh, Sian Phillips, I believe is how you say her name in the 1995 version. And then, of course, the great Angela Lansbury in the 2009 version. But her small part of this song gets to go like this. Ordinary daughters ameliorate their lot, use their charms and choose their futures, breed their children, heed their mothers. Ordinary daughters, which mine I fear is not. Tend each asset, spend it wisely while it still endures. Mine tours. Ordinary daughters ameliorate their lot. Use their charms and choose their futures. Breed their children, heed their mothers. Ordinary daughters, which my life is not. Tend each asset, spend it wisely while it still endures. Mine tours. All right. What do we have to say about this uh, part? Well, I'm glad that somebody finally worked the word ameliorate into a Broadway lyric. It's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, 
And then in the very next song, you have proprietress that yes, he actually yeah. gets into a lyric. And it's like, geez, Louise, like <laughs> <laughs> some $5 words that we're trying to work with That's here. Right. Well, and, and on that point, exactly. Um, this is the same melody that Frederica had at the very beginning of the song. And mm. when you look at the, yeah. the, the language that the two are using, Frederica is using all of these monosyllabic words. Whereas her right. grandmother is, you know, ameliorate, tend and, mm -hmm. and heed and words that, that Fred breed their breed children, their children yeah. which Frederica would never say that. Yeah, I think this is such a great example of how character can inform lyric choice mm -hmm. in a song, because literally you have same melody, but very different feelings from these songs. I also love how each of these actresses actually interpret this part of the song yeah. because i find like hermione gingold of course like i think her just her aura around her is like yes like she's this older woman and stuff like that and like everything she says is like this withering put down almost but then somehow my music started on my song <laughs> let's just turn that off but then you have like angela lansbury who is i feel singing it very sarcastically mm -hmm. instead of it being like passive aggressive it's actually being sarcastic which is slightly different there's a slightly different way you have to perform each of those mm -hmm. things uh and it gives a different bit of a spin to that character too so uh, i always love to see how different actors and actresses actually interpret a role, especially as one is like well known as a little night music. One of the things that I particularly love is the the line "Use their charms and choose their futures." A little night music is such a, I think, such an amazing show because it was written so fast that they just right. it just yeah, yeah. came together and it went through so many concept changes so quickly. And I think that this is a line where sort of the original version of Madame Armfeld as being the sort of witch character who's sort of controlling everything is still sort of lingering in the lyrics because she's talking about charms and, and fortune telling. So it's like this weird spell casting thing going on in that lyric. Yeah, um, again, to kind of go back to original conception, originally what Sondheim wanted to do was actually frame it around the Madame Armfeld character where she was playing solitaire mm -hmm. or something, I think, and every hand she played would change it and say like this is how this would go uh based on this uh card that she flips up so you can see like the three or four different storylines playing mm -hmm. out uh and i think that is i think that's a callback to that kind of uh idea of basically the cards hold your fate mm -hmm. almost and her in like that witchy type role uh it is also i think very practically this inversion of how frederica sees like a mother which is this very like specific outlook on life and then we have the opposite views like this is how a daughter should actually act and you can see the different generations and how they might view um i don't know like gender roles and mm -hmm. stuff like that because i i know i already said it but the, the it has always stood out to me this idea about how they should breed their children and heed their mothers yes right <laughs> um it just it seems it seems very almost getting into you like eugenics sort of, <laughs> sort of thing for me and it's like oh boy like this is this is pretty i don't know but i don't know how do you read that i agree with you on on the the different looks but frederica points out so specifically that her mother is not ordinary her mother is not what a mother typically is right and madame armfeld is in a sense agreeing with her that yeah you're right my daughter is not who a daughter should be but they've come to very different <laughs> yeah, right. emotional conclusions about that frederica mm -hmm. loves it and madame armfeld is less than enthusiastic i also think it's interesting that frederica is 
because she's so young and has such limited understanding of the world just because of her age, she's talking about something that she doesn't really know. She's never had an ordinary mother, so she doesn't really understand that concept. Whereas Madame Armfeld has a very clear idea of how a woman, an Armfeld woman in particular, should comport herself because that's what she has done. She has bred her children. She has tended her assets and spent them wisely. And Frederica has not right. done any of the things that she's singing about. I, that, that's so true. The, the last thing I just want to call about this section, I don't know what it is. I just love the rhyme of endures and tours. Yes. Because it's such an out-of-the-box mm -hmm. rhyme to pick. Yeah, and, and yet it still and, works. In the dialect I speak, those two words don't rhyme. They're close, but they don't. Right, yeah. Um, and you know, so we got the endures and then... Was it Hermione Gingold just chewed up the word and went tours to, <laughs> to really make that rhyme happen? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Almost making it like a two-syllable yes. word. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think this goes back to, uh, Sondheim has actually mentioned this in his book, Finishing the Hat, about how it's sometimes hard to write shows in English because over in Britain, they pronounce words differently than how they do it in America. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes things that rhyme in America don't rhyme in Britain and vice mm -hmm. versa. So you have to like pick and choose yeah. like this. Is, we're going to make this rhyme in this show or we're not going to try and make this rhyme. You know, where thing. one of those things happens, I think is, is so much fun in a different show in the London version of Follies that that very strange mm. production in um, Country right. House. He rhymes the word off with the word Waldorf. Right. Yes. But Diana Rigg makes them rhyme. She pronounces Waldorf in a way that it rhymes with the word off. Yeah. She, Walderoff. <laughs> She's I think like, it's a Waldorf. She actually pronounces it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's like, a wonderful line. It's reading, so weird. I know. It's it's like, even when I'm reading those lyrics, it's like, oh, like off and Waldorf. Like that isn't, <laughs> that's, that's nothing. So Desiree comes back and she sings, Mother, forgive the delay. My schedule is driving me wild. But Mother, I really must run. I'm performing in Rotvik and don't ask where is it, please. How are we feeling today? And are you corrupting the child? Don't. Mother, the minute I'm done with performing in Rotvik, I'll come for a visit and argue. Mother, forgive the delay. My schedule is driving me wild. But Mother, I really must run. I'm performing in Rotvik. And don't ask, where is it, please? How are you feeling today? And are you corrupting the child? Don't, mother, the minute I'm done with performing in Rockvik, I'll come for a visit and argue. Back to the geography. Um, we looked up Rockvik, and it is, if you yeah. threw a dart at uh, just an outline of Sweden and said the dart hit the very middle, that's where Rockvik is. <laughs> It's just the middle of nowhere. And I was and I was trying to see if that if that does have any relevance to anything. And I think it's just meant to be in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that's all that this means because I couldn't see it being famous or interesting for anything. Sorry for the people of Rock. Apologies to all of your Swedish But yeah, it's um, and it's one of those references. Like, what American audience is going to understand? that specifically that yeah. Rotvig is in the middle of nowhere, but somehow it still works because we just get that she's talking about something that no one knows of. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. One thing that I think is interesting here is when Desiree's writing to Frederica, everything she says is a, is a statement. And when she's writing to her mother, mm. she asks questions. It's more like the first question is, how are you feeling today? Which I suppose Desiree does actually care about, but it's more of a, a nice way to get into the second question, which is, what are you doing to my child? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> and corrupting the child very specifically. I like how that's phrased. I, I, I also like how this one ends, too. It's like, I'll come for a visit and argue, mm-hmm. which is like, uh, there's certain family members where that's kind mm-hmm. of the thing <laughs> where you go. It's like, it's going to end in a, in a bit of an argument, no matter what happens. Yeah. And the, the argue reaches all the way back to the last time she wrote the letter to Frederico to rhyme with love you. So she reached back like with three you, verses. Yeah. Sometimes reached back three verses to make that rhyme. This is all, this is my my love. His love of puzzles is like <laughs> knows no yeah. bounds. So this is how the song essentially ends in the original Broadway cast. So the quintet is supposed to come back out here now and goes mayors with speeches, la la la. Children with posies, la la la. Half empty houses, la la la. Hi ho, the glamorous life. Cultural lunches, la, la, la. Dead floral tributes, la, la, la. Ancient admirers, la, la, la. Hi-ho, the glamorous life. Now, in the book, Finishing the Hat, Frederica is supposed to sing uh, Mother's Romantic, la, la, la. And then Madame Artfelt is supposed to say Mother's Misguided, la, la, la. And then Desiree goes, Mother's Surviving, la, la, la. Leading the glamorous life. Uh, Just as a pause there, the only time that actually happens is in the 2009 revival. In no other version is that actually how it happens. So uh, we'll get to a moment with how the 1995 version does this song. because it kind of mixes things up a little bit. But in the original Broadway cast, um, instead of Frederica and then Madame Artfeld having that one line, it's Desiree who sings all the way through. And she just does another reprise of unpack the luggage, pack out the luggage, and then goes into Mother Surviving. Uh, and then last we get into them as they all come together and they go cracks in the plaster. La, la, la. Youngish admirers. La, la, la. Which one was that one? La, la, la. Hi, ho, the glamorous life. Bring up the curtain. La, la, la. Bring down the curtain. La, la, la. Bring up the curtain. La, la, la. Hi, ho, the glamorous. And then Desiree by herself. Life. Mayors with speeches. La, la, la. Children with posies. La, la. Half empty houses, la la la. I hold the glamorous life. Cultural lunches, la la la. Decoral tributes, la la la. Ancient admirers, la la la. I hold the glamorous life. Pack up the luggage, la la la. Unpack the luggage, la la la. Mother's surviving, la, 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 leading the glamorous life. Cracks in the plaster, la, 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 youngish admirers, la, la, la. Which one is that one, la, 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 hi-ho, the glamorous life. Bring Bring up the curtain, la, 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 bring down the curtain, la, la, la. Bring up the curtain, la, la, la. All right, so now that some, they've, we've been able to hear the song, it probably makes way more sense than how I described <laughs> it. But uh, so this last bit of section here, as kind of all the different elements come together, what call-outs do you have? Well, one thing I'll say is there is one other production I know that included those extra Madame Armfeld and Frederica's lines, but there's no recording of it. Um, okay. It's the, I think it's the 1990, Nine? maybe Lincoln Se- or New York City Opera version that starts Sally Ann Howes. 
from Titty Titty Bang Bang. And they included those lyrics in that, but there was never a recording made of it. So unless you can watch it on YouTube, you would never see Mm -hmm. it. There is, I don't know if it's going to still be up uh, by the time this uh, episode goes up, but it's not that that version. It's, I think, the 2010 opera or New York opera version Mm -hmm. of A Little Night Music is you can go and watch right now for free if you want to. (laughs) But now I can't remember how they do it in that one, to be honest with you. Uh, anyways, it threw me off when I was reading through these lyrics. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Desiree sings those because I'm so used to like the original Broadway cast right? <laughs> listening to this song. But I guess just going back, I guess if you had to guess, because we don't know, why do you think they changed it for the recording? I have absolutely no idea. I'm kind of fascinated reading the the lyrics in Finishing the Hat because there are so many places where those just are not the lyrics that appeared in the original production. I'm like, right. but you you wrote them, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's like revisions that happen. And then, yeah, he just was like, well, the revision is kind of my final stamp and we're just going to put up the, the final version of it. So I, I wonder if the original Broadway cast actually used these ones or it was just the way that Desiree sings it. Because initially I had this impulse like, oh, maybe they just couldn't like get all the actresses in on the same day. But then like Madame Arnfeld is in this song and Frederick is in this song. So that makes no sense if that mm-hmm. was the case. So I, I want to call it some of these things that the quintet is saying, which is I think specifically the uh, ancient admirers and then mm-hmm. youngish admirers comes out later. So it's obvious that she is having um, a great dating life, let's say <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to be PC about it. Uh, I don't know. What do you have to say about that? The quintet is being very blunt and honest, I think, about how things are actually running. Um, you know, the the dead throw tributes, the cultural lunches, the ancient admirers, the half empty houses, half empty houses. And Desiree, I think, is trying to put a little bit more of a, a positive spin on it, trying to make it feel a little more glamorous. Because mm-hmm, the more mm-hmm. the, the quintet sings, the less glamorous this life actually feels like. Yeah, I definitely think that this is that, uh, not necessarily the introduction of the quintet, but the quintet certainly has this role throughout the rest of the show to be kind of like that wink, wink to the audience a little bit and be Uh like, (laughs) things are getting very sexy behind the scenes here, even if we can't explicitly show it here on Mm -hmm. stage, which is fun. And I do, and I do like, like the stage note here that Sondheim writes, like on that very last line, Desiree is supposed to say or sing life wearily, like she's supposed to be like very run down from going to the Helsingborg Arts Council Theater Group, Amateur Theater Group. <laughs> um, I, I think this is very much a, an acting set piece for that Desiree character coming on stage mm-hmm. for us to see, like, okay, we, we kind of understand everything about her within these three minutes of a song. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a great way for a character, for an actor to be introduced to the audience to have an entire cast singing about you as you walk onto the stage. Right. <laughs> It's basically her main moment, but like much less running time. (laughs) And it does set us up for that. I mean, the most wonderful um, transition into the next scene where they're doing the play within the play. So she's been running around all over Sweden in carriages and eating sandwiches. And now all of a sudden she's dressed in this French costume that looks like it's out of Moliere or something. And it just transitions from one to the other seamlessly, which I think is wonderful. I agree. Um, any last thoughts you have about how this song originally appeared on Broadway? Well, one of the things that I find interesting is 
that the quintet does have this monotonous quality to it, but mm. the rhythms and the orchestrations vary. So there are places where the orchestrations drop out and they're singing a cappella, and there are other places where they're really punching certain words, but in the same verse earlier, they did not punch those words. So mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of subtle variation built in to keep it from actually becoming monotonous. So it sort of yeah, gives the I, illusion I, of it. I think that's a great call out. And I, I think this is where you have to give credit to Jonathan Tunick, who I believe was mm -hmm. who did the original orchestrations of this piece, kind of knowing that we can't do the exact same thing underneath this every single time. We have to vary this up here a mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. Now, I did mention that there is a movie version of a little night music. And even though we're not focusing on that as one of our main scores that we're listening to, I think we do need to discuss it in relation to this song because the song is entirely different in that production. However, it does have its grasp on some theater productions too, because the 1995 version with Judy Dench uses that as a basis. It actually uses the first, third, and second third of that song <laughs> as what Frederica sings, and then puts the original Broadway cast of Desiree and the other characters in kind of sandwiched in between it. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of like mash them all together at the very end. Uh, so it's definitely worth it if you can somehow track down a version of that to really see how they play around with that. But we're going to mostly look at just the, the movie by itself here. And it starts off. Actually, I should just ask, have either of you watched the movie A Little Night Music? Yes, yes multiple times. Okay. Now, are you... Uh, a lover of that movie or see it as like um, a great failure. Like Hal Prince, I don't think he ever directed anything again after that, as far as movies go. Well, I find it really interesting that in um, finishing the hat, he, or, no, I don't think it's finishing the hat. It's in um, maybe the Joanne Gordon book that yeah. uh, he's quoted as talking about how in Follies and in a little night music on stage, he did things that were very cinematic. And I thought, yeah. I'm not sure you understand what cinematic is, because then when you actually made a film, it didn't work. So, right. And then, like you said, he never did it again. Yeah, I've been try I've tried to have been figuring this out, like with Hal Prince, because that is often what people say is like he had this cinematic eye, whether you're talking even about like Phantom of the Opera or any of the other stuff that he staged. I, I think what people really mean by that is, is that he was effectively able to use, I guess, like the whole stage lighting design. Like he understood how people's eyes kind of move around the stage and was mm -hmm. able to very specifically focus people's. But when you actually have a camera and you are supposed to focus on one thing, uh, for me, having watched the movie, it comes across as a bit flat most of the time. Yes, where it's just like, it does. There's a, doesn't feel like there's movement with that camera the way that you would see in a stage show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's several times when it's it's very clear it's a stage director directing this because the character will refer to someone or something who's out of sight, out of frame of the, the camera, where on stage you can see that person, the other person that they're yeah. referring to, and there's no back and forth cuts between cameras. It, it just feels like you're watching a stage version through a very small box or tube or something. Although I will say it does give us a chance to see Diana Rigg play Charlotte, which is delicious. That is true. Oh. I feel bad for uh, Diana Rigg a bit. Her two appearances basically on this show in relation to Sondheim are these, I think, kind of like failed productions mm -hmm. um, a little bit. And it's like, I love her so much. She's so great at what she does. So the glamorous life, uh, how it appears in the movie is we start off with Frederica at her piano and she sings in the same tune that the original starts off as with 
Ordinary mothers lead ordinary lives, keep the house and sweep the parlor, mend the clothes and tend the children. Ordinary mothers, like ordinary wives, make the beds and bake the pies and wither on the vine. Not mine. Ordinary mothers lead ordinary lives, mop the floors and chop the parsley, mend the clothes and tend the children. Ordinary mothers, like ordinary wives, make the beds and bake the pies and wither on the So the lyrics are slightly changed, and again, to keep this so weird, is that those lyrics that I just read out are actually not what they sing in the movie, even though that's what it <laughs> says here in the book. Because she does not sing mop the floor, sorry, she does not say keep the house and sweep the parlor, she says mop the floor and chop the parsley. That uh, keep the house and sweep the parlor is actually in the 1995 version mm. production, that's what she sings. So just to keep things as convoluted as possible. So with this film version, I know this is basically starting off in the exact same way, but anything new that you wanted to bring out about how they decided to open this in the film? Well, I think it's interesting, the inclusion of the line wither on the vine, because in the stage yeah. version, when Frederica is talking about what ordinary mothers do, she she seems to be wanting that. And here she does still seem to be wanting it, but she also recognizes in that line that it it might not be very good for the mothers themselves. Yeah, I think there's a little bit more self-awareness with this one, maybe. Or maybe overt awareness and not mm -hmm. just like from the mouths of babes sort mm -hmm. of idea. I also like that wither on the vine, not mine, a little bit better yes. than yeah. mine axe, I think, is the, the way that the original one opens up. Then we go into something that's altogether a little bit different here. So it's just Frederica now singing, which is dying by inches every night. What a glamorous life brought on by winches to recite what a glamorous life. Ordinary mothers never get the flowers and ordinary mothers never know the joys, but ordinary mothers couldn't cough for hours maintaining their poise. Dying by inches every night, what a glamorous life. Pulled on by winches to recite what a glamorous life. Ordinary mothers never get the flowers And ordinary mothers never know the joys But ordinary mothers couldn't cough for hours Maintaining their poise So this is where the lyrics, of course, get completely different. And even the melody, to a certain extent, gets a little bit different here, mm -hmm. too. I, I like that this is a, a verse that describes the type of acting and the type of shows that Desiree is doing, showing that that Frederica really has seen her in these shows. You know, she's clearly pay playing a character who's dying of tuberculosis for mm -hmm. two and a half hours on stage and, you know, has you wheeled in because she's too weak to walk across the stage to the bed or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. But she's getting all that, but there's still the, the callback to the, the dead floral tributes from right. the other version, the stage version of the song. Yeah, and I think this works really well. Like, if you do see this in the movie, this is where you see, like, the intercutting of what Desiree is up to. Mm -hmm. And, like, <laughs> all the good and bad things that are happening, essentially, in her life. One thing that I, because I feel so dumb about this. What, what, how do you interpret this, that first thing that she says, dying by inches? What does that mean? Historically, I, th I think, if I got my research and reading right about this, it's, a slow pain, it's a way to describe a slow, painful, torturous death. So um, if somebody is um, very sick, but it's taken a very long time, 
they're described as dying by inches. So I was trying to take this way too literally then. I thought that this was in some sort of like relation to a performance or something she was doing, which I guess it kind of is. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't taking this as like a saying or something that Sondheim was working into the the show itself. Because the next one is like moved in by winches, which is a very like this actually being moved in. By winches. Yeah, I think that maybe she was, you know, dying so slowly and having a very long, drawn-out death scene that she was slowly yeah. sinking inch by inch into the stage as she was dying or something. But apparently that's not what that <laughs> phrase meant. <laughs> gotcha. And then of course there is the um again, another great, I think, rhyming here, which is like know the joys maintaining their poise, which mm-hmm. is a great uh, little <laughs> rhyme to end that off with. Uh we come back to sandwiches though next in our next <laughs> lyric here. <Always> so <laughs> It's always the sandwiches. Uh, so she continues on sandwiches only, but she eats what she wants when she wants. Sometimes it's lonely, but she meets many handsome gallants. Ordinary mothers don't live out of cases, but ordinary mothers don't go different places, which ordinary mothers can't do. Being mothers all day, minds away in a play, and they're realer than they. Or sorry, and she's realer than they. Sandwiches only, but she eats what she wants when she wants. Sometimes it's lonely, but she meets many handsome gallants. Ordinary mothers don't live out of cases, but ordinary mothers don't go different places, which ordinary mothers can't do. Being mothers all day, minds away in a play, and she's realer than Well, I have a bit of a confession to make, and Brian is always mocking me for this. I have a very distinct, if incorrect, memory of the first time watching this movie that she's saying the line that meets many gallant gallants instead of handsome gallants. And so for years, I had that line stuck in my head. And so every time I get something wrong, Brian's like, oh, so gallant gallants. I do love the sandwiches only, but she eats when she wants when she wants. It's both of this admiration as well as complete understanding and misunderstanding at the same time. Like she very clearly cannot Mm -hmm. eat anything she wants, but nonetheless, she's using that as a selling point. What I love about that, and if I'm getting the the timing right, is that that's the part in the film too that you see um, Elizabeth Taylor like just stuffing a a sandwich into her mouth Mm -hmm. in the. uh, in the train, <laughs> she's yes. sitting on the train sort of thing. And the two men are watching too. her from the other side of the carriage. That's right. Six <laughs> <laughs> on those extra two little lines after you know, it's, it's the same rhythm as the, the previous verse, the dying by inches verse. But now we get to the end where being mothers all day, minds away in a play and she's realer than they just keeps tacking that on and, and building that up. It feels very similar to like going back to Follies with the uh, waiting for the girls upstairs where where they go and wait and, and wait, wait and wait and wait <laughs> and then you get another one you get even one more right uh, where it's like oh okay she's adding on to this and I think even if you don't realize there's two extra lines there you feel that it's like oh okay she's adding on to this um, why do you think she says realer than they though if she's not in her life necessarily how is she realer than these uh, I guess fictional mothers that she's bringing up that was one of the questions that i was puzzling over because she's talked about ordinary mothers but she's never talked about Mm -hmm. real mothers and so it's the Uh, first time she's talked about a a real mother in the song Um, and of course she's a teenager she's throwing in a a made-up version of the word 
you know, so she's right. not more real, she's realer. So it's in <laughs> yeah. Frederica, I think especially in the movie version of the song, really plays that um she's a, a young girl who's transitioning into being more mature and she's she's trying to be as mature as she can possibly be, but there's little things that give away that she's not there yet. And I think that realer yeah. is one of those. I think it's also important that she's for, for the first time talking about reality because in the next verse she's going to go full on into fairy tale land right i, I think that's a great uh call out here too because yes we get into a lot of fantasy imagery <laughs> coming mm-hmm. up here in the song um i was just going to mention too about the reeler at the very least she didn't use the word gooder <laughs> which makes my skin crawl every time i hear people say it so <laughs> Frederica continues on by singing what if her brooch is only glass and her costumes unravel? What if her coach is second class? She at least gets to travel. And sometime this summer, meaning soon, she'll be traveling to me. Sometime this summer, maybe June, I'm the new place she'll see. Ordinary daughters may think life is better with ordinary mothers near them when they choose. But ordinary daughters seldom get a letter in closing reviews. What if her brooch is only glass and her costumes unravel? What if her coach is second class, she at least gets to travel. And sometime this summer, meaning soon she'll be traveling to me. Sometime this summer, maybe June, I'm the new place she'll see. Ordinary daughters may think life is better with ordinary mothers near them when they choose. Ordinary daughters seldom get a letter and closing reviews. I will say, not that it like greatly impacts the meaning of the lyric, but talking about misheard things before, mm-hmm. I always thought in closing reviews was end closing reviews. Oh. <laughs> Which makes a lot more sense than what I misremembered. So it's <laughs> right. <laughs> But no, it's like they, she's enclosed reviews in her letter is mm-hmm. how that's supposed to be read. The first eight lines are sort of broken in the middle after she at least gets to travel. And then she begins with the word and. And then it changes quite a bit, both what she's talking mm-hmm. about, but also the, the actual music changes. It turns into this almost military march with the snare drum underneath mm. it. I like the, honestly, the lyric here because it, I never really thought about this before necessarily, but it feels like what Frederica is saying is that with traditional motherhood, it's actually the daughter who has the power in the, in the, in the dynamic, because you really just say like ordinary daughters think life is better with ordinary mothers near them when they choose. Uh, At least the they I feel is referring back to the daughters in that, in that thought. Whereas for her, she doesn't get to see her mother. It's when her mother chooses to see her is when she actually gets to see her. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's an interesting little dynamic that happens kind of like almost like as a thrown off thought in this song. Mm -hmm. The the line that makes me um, go, oh, yeah, hmm, is the I'm the new place she'll see. Yeah. I'm referring to herself (laughs) as, you know, because her mother, Desiree, is traveling all over, well, the world in quotes. Um, But now she's going to come see me almost it it almost Uh, feels like the i'm a grown woman now she's barely going to recognize me yeah (laughs) yeah right right. i'm the new rotvik right (laughs) we we can only hope to be rotvik in our lives i do also like the way that she's being a little 
again, a little childish here because she says sometime this summer, meaning soon, but then she says sometime this summer, maybe June. And of course, June is the first month of summer. So she's like, okay, mm -hmm. mom, mother said she'd come visit me in the summer. I want that now. Yeah, I want that first day of summer that she is actually <laughs> yes. here. Yeah, she continues on saying gay and resilient with applause. What a glamorous life. Speeches are brilliant. If they're Shaw's, what a glamorous life. Ordinary mothers needn't meet committees, but ordinary mothers don't need keys to cities. No, ordinary mothers merely see their children all year, which is lovely, I hear. But it does interfere with the glamorous. What a glamorous life. Speeches are brilliant. If they're shores, what a glamorous life. Ordinary mothers needn't meet committees, but ordinary mothers don't get keys to cities. No, ordinary mothers merely see their children all year, which is <laughs> I do like the um, the Shaw. Oh my there. gosh, it's like my favorite little joke that he puts into this. Yes, and we, uh, we we read this as like she's actually reading the the reviews. So mm -hmm. you know the the Gan resilient with applause, and then Frederica can like, say to whoever she's talking to, "What a glamorous life!" Um, and that if they're Shaw's, I'm never quite sure if that's in the review or if that's her mimicking Desiree, you know, well, yeah, of course, they're, yeah, they're right. Shaw's, but it's also a nice little connection to the frogs because Shaw is a fairly major character in that play. I, I, it does. And that's bittersweet. It also does this Sondheim thing that he kind of comes back to, which is that uh, we're getting used to hearing a certain phrase and he likes to cut that kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we've heard the glamorous life over and over and like, and ends up, uh, with the glamorous and she actually stops for a moment without finishing life um, at the end of that sentence. Uh, so she can go on and kind of go into this last section here that we'll get into in a moment. But do you think there's anything more to it than that? That it's just her thinking about it or is there more to it than that? Well, I think it's interesting because when she talks about the glamorous life, that's obviously Desiree's life. And mm. she doesn't finish that statement. She cuts off the last word. And then the word that she substitutes in in the next verse is I. So she's sort of putting mm -hmm. herself. And then, of course, she goes into fantasy land here. Um, right. So she's sort of melding herself and her mother in some weird way. It's almost as if she sees herself as kind of the unglamorousness in Desiree's life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She she interferes with her glamorous yes. life. Right. That she's finally coming to that realization, whether it's true or not. She's. She's that thought occurs to her at that yeah. moment. Um, well, this is how she finishes it off. She says, I am the princess guarded by dragons, snorting and grumbling and rumbling in wagons. She's in her kingdom wearing disguises, living a life that is full of surprises. And sometime this summer, she'll come galloping over the green. Sometime this summer to the rescue, my mother, the queen. Ordinary mothers thrive on being private, but ordinary mothers somehow can survive it. And ordinary mothers never... No, they're just standing still with the kettles to fill while they're missing the thrill of the glamorous life. I am the princess guarded by dragons, snorting and grumbling and rumbling in wagons. She's in her kingdom wearing disguises, living a life that is full of surprises. And sometime this summer, 
He'll come galloping over the green Sometime this summer To the rescue my mother the queen Ordinary mothers thrive on being private But ordinary mothers somehow can survive it And ordinary mothers never know they're just standing still With the kettles to fill While they're missing the thrill Kind of a, a nice little like fine point on the end here <laughs> of the difference between the the famous and like the ordinary, I guess, where it's like it, it's easy for those ordinary mothers, uh, quote unquote, to not feel bad because they just don't know what they're missing. Mm -hmm. And in her idea of what <laughs> what those two things actually right. are, this is all definitely coming from a 14 year old child, too, at the same yes. time. Well, it's interesting when she goes into this like fairy tale language here, because it's twisting the normal sort of version of this where you're a princess trapped in a tower and you're trapped by a dragon. And here she's being guarded by dragons, which I'm assuming she's thinking of her grandmother and her mm. mother is going to come back and rescue. But it's, again, it's, it's almost taking the stereotypes of fairy tales, but they don't quite add up because I'm not quite sure that she's figured out what is it exactly she's being rescued from like is it her grandmother is it her life like right and it's interesting that her, <laughs> what is she being her mother from? is the one who's going to rescue her but it's it's her mother her mother's choice to not be with her that she needs to be rescued from uh there's another cutoff of a line in that last section mm. um ordinary mothers somehow can survive it but ordinary mothers never know they're just standing still ordinary mothers never what one of the the things that I so love about Sondheim, and and I know you've talked about this, and it's everyone talks about that interview where he says, I can't just write a love song, but if you tell me right. that there's a girl in a red dress in a bar, you know, whatever, it, the more specific he has it, the easier it is for him to write the song. And as an actor coming from that point of view, this a text like this that is so specific really opens up more opportunities to make choices. And it's not a it's not a big wide open everything is available. It's definitely pointing in the right direction, but it it provides those opportunities mm -hmm. of just make an actor's life so much more fulfilling. Yeah, I agree. Like this is some very meaty uh, lyric writing here that you can really perform. Um, I want to know your point of view on this because I actually I don't know if my opinion is actually um, controversial or not. But of the two versions of this song, do you have a favorite one? Definitely the film version. Okay. So that's, that's my, I disagree. see, my opinion is the film version too. <laughs> I actually like the film version quite a bit better. One is a, just a listening experience. I think it's better, but I don't know necessarily in the theatrical space if it's better. That's the, that's the issue it gets. I think it's very specifically written for the film uh, for mm -hmm. this purpose. Um, I also kind of like it as another kind of subtle thing in that you don't actually hear from Desiree until a little bit further into the piece. Uh, so the mm -hmm. first time you actually hear her is when um, Frederick actually goes to meet her then in that case. 
which is true in from the original Bergman film is actually that's the first time you actually see her is when mm. um, they go to the actual play itself, which is kind of a an interesting portion to wait until. Anyways, that's me blabbing a bit too much. So let's go for both of you. Brian, why do you prefer the film version? I, I think the lyric is more complex and more interesting. I also like that we get to hear something about Frederica, who in the in the show is sort of the the linchpin to everything. Desiree wants to stop being on tour so she could be with her daughter. Um, Frederick finally that it's the re realization that Frederica is his daughter mm -hmm. is one of the things that makes him realize this is this is the relationship I need to be in. She's sort of the key to all of this. But in the stage play, we don't really hear from her that much. Yeah. And I think this gives us a lot of that. I will say, I think that for, for Desiree on the stage version is much better because it, it it's a character piece for Desiree, which is very important. I don't know, but I'm assuming that they rewrote this for the movie because Elizabeth Taylor couldn't sing. <laughs> and so they had to take away every bit of her except for sending the clowns. Right. And I think that they actually did some very interesting visuals where you see her going through the motions of this unglamorous, glamorous life is a really interesting visual to to this lyric. But I just I just like it better as a song. I maybe also because I've heard I've heard more versions of it because since it's a solo, obviously people record it and Audrey yeah. McDonald sings it. And so you you get to hear more versions of it, which I think makes me think about it more. But um, I do think for the stage version that the original does work better. Right. Uh, I like the song. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, what's your rebuttal? Well, it's it's a very, very subtle rebuttal. Okay. If I can a subtle rebuttal. Okay. rebuttal. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I did plan that. Um, I The movie version, I, I agree, is a, a beautiful standalone song. But in terms of storytelling, I really prefer the stage version better. Because for me, it comes back to whose story is being told. Mm -hmm. And the whole show, all of Little Night Music, is not a show about Frederica. It's right. a show about Desiree and Frederick. And putting this whole three and a half minute song that's dedicated. Yeah, she's talking about Desiree, but really we learn more about Frederica in the song than we learn about Desiree in the song. Mm. I think it's it's a distraction. It's a little side alley that doesn't really go anywhere and doesn't really pan out in the rest of the show. Gotcha. No, I can see I can see that. You're just wrong. Uh no just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that enough times I accept it. No, just, right. <laughs> just today. <laughs> I guess that overall here then, like just going back to the the original Broadway version of this song, when you take a look at like the full score where would you put Glamorous Life in the actual score itself? Like one of your favorite songs of the piece, or is it just, it's great to advance the the plot a little bit, but it's not one I go back to. Where, where do you fall on that? My favorite song in the entire show is A Weekend in the Country, yeah. which again, you're welcome to tell me I'm wrong because people do all the time. Um, <laughs> he just does so much fun, so many fun things with that song. Uh, this one, I think, is is pretty far up there. I actually put Send in the Clowns near the bottom of the list Interesting. of my favorite songs for this. It's, a, it's again, a well-written song. Lots of people have covered it. People can do very interesting character things. But I don't think it accomplishes what the rest of the songs tend to accomplish in terms of storytelling. Gotcha. Um, how are you, Brian? I think probably my favorite song in the show is The Miller's Son. Mm-hmm. And then probably weekend in the country, and then the glamorous life probably third. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. There's I think a, it's 
pretty high up there. There's a lot of strong contenders, I find, in this show. Um, yes. Now, you don't necessarily have to go with one of the ones that are kind of framing this season of the show, but do you have a favorite version that you like to listen to of The Glamorous Life? Well, I I like the Audra McDonald concert yeah. version of the film, but I I just dearly love the original Broadway cast. Yeah, same for me. Yeah, it's hard to it's really hard to beat me for for me personally. Even though I a hundred percent agree that there have been great performers who have done some of the revivals, uh, it's there's the original Broadway cast is like cast perfectly in my mind for every single mm-hmm. role. So. Well, thank you so much to the both of you for joining me here today. This has been really fun. Is there a way if people wanted to stay in contact with you online to do so? Or do we not have social media? Well, I'll go first because mine is easier. I don't really do the social media thing very much. Mm -hmm. But um, obviously, if people wanted to get in touch with me, they could visit the website for my university, Limestone University, and get in touch with me through there. Great. And I do have a professional Twitter that I um, do with it's all pedagogy and educational technology. So I never post anything Sondheim or theater related on there, but you know, I'm searchable on Twitter. Nice. What's the uh, handle? Mr. Perkin B R H S. Cause that's my school. Okay. So perfect. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. You can send emails to putting it together podcast at gmail.com. Also, you can follow Sondheim Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash putting it together podcast. Thank you to the Alberta Podcast Network, to Park Power, and to ATB this week. Putting It Together is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts from. Consider subscribing so that you never miss an episode. Next week, we'll be talking about Remember. I think that's true. As always, a big thanks to the great Chris Taniguchi, who designed the podcast artwork, and to Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. Well, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now.